0: Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Left On Red Thought Provoking Commentary by Trevor Cooper. I am your host, Trevor Cooper, recording from the San Francisco Bay Area of California. I am so humbled by and grateful for the overwhelming response and outpouring of love from my family, friends, and colleagues. Just from the numbers, Last week, it looks like word is getting around about the podcast. For those of you who listened to Episode 1, Home Training, I thank you for listening. Please don't forget to share this podcast. Just a bit of nostalgia and also a nod to my parents' wokeness in the 1990s. I highly recommend Carolina Skeletons, a 1991 film starring Lou Gossett Jr. and Bruce Dern, based on the award-winning novel by the same name, written by David Stout. The book is available on Amazon.com. In summary, though, in the 1940s in South Carolina, a 14-year-old boy named Linus Bragg follows two white girls riding their bikes into the woods. When he arrives on foot to where the girls were, both girls are dead, and Linus immediately becomes the accused and is convicted and executed. This film and book is based on the case of George Stinney Jr., who at 14 years old became the youngest person executed in the United States. In South Carolina, there are certain African customs and traditions that reach all the way back to the motherland. The transatlantic slave trade is but a finite period of time that often blocks the historical portal to the centuries of thriving African kingdoms, tribes, social systems, commerce, and diverse cultural expression sprawling across the continent of Africa in all directions. Exuberant music dance, and ceremony literally pumps through my veins. The ancestors communicated nuanced meaning through instruments, symbols, and a melting pot of languages, dialects, and tongues, and even through percussive body movements to send and receive messages and to compete and showcase. Just imagine ancient African tribes such as the Zulu, the Igbo, the Akan, the Yoruba, the Ashanti, the Himba, the Maasai, and the Samburu peoples, all in their respective colors and garbs, with each tribe having their own unique style of movement, language, and sound. These dance-offs go back hundreds, if not thousands of years, and we honor African tradition, even today by moving our bodies to the rhythms and sounds passed down to us through the ages. Today, we call this African tradition stepping. Stepping is a form of percussive dance where your entire body becomes a percussion instrument used to produce complex rhythms and sounds through a combination of footsteps, spoken word, and hand claps. By sixth grade, I had witnessed my first step routine, and I was absolutely transformed by what I saw. I wondered how such a beautiful sound could come from mere hands and feet. By the end of the step routine, the entire Bates Middle School student body was in an uproar. The step team had brought the house down with their performance and sent the entire school into a frenzy. In my 11-year-old mind, I knew this was my calling. With my eyes opened by this performance, I began to ask my parents to let me go step shows in the local area and particularly at Morris College, which is the local HBCU. Some of you may be asking, well, what is an HBCU? HBCUs are historically black colleges and universities. These are institutions of higher education in the United States that were established before the Civil Rights Act of 1964 with the intention of primarily serving African American students. Most of these institutions were founded in the 1800s after the American Civil War and are concentrated in the southern United States. For about 100 years, from 1865 to 1965, the overwhelming majority of higher education institutions were predominantly white and completely disqualified or prohibited even, or sometimes limited through quota systems, African-American students. Notably, both my dads went to HBCUs. Felbert Cooper, my biological dad, went to Benedict College in Columbia, South Carolina. And Richard Sr., my bonus dad, went to Morris College. During this time... As I was growing up, Richard Sr. worked security on campus at Morris, and since he was a police officer, I could pretty much get into any basketball game or event for free. Even to this day, I must admit, there is nothing like the HBCU campus vibe. We call the campus the yard. Sporting events are absolutely electrifying, especially when the historically black Greek lettered organizations are at the event as a teenager i quickly learned about the divine 9 organizations and became a student to one of these organizations in particular some of you might be wondering what i mean by the divine 9 so let me quickly explain and name them the national panhellenic council is made up of 9 historically african american greek lettered organizations each founded at a time in the United States when African-American students were banned from being members of predominantly white greek letter organizations on predominantly white campuses due to pervasive racism and Jim Crow segregation on American campuses. Today, the members of the NPHC are the following five fraternities and four sororities. Alpha Phi Alpha, founded in 1906, at Cornell University. Kappa Alpha Psi, founded in 1911 at Indiana University, Bloomington. Omega Psi Phi, founded in 1911 at Howard University. Phi Beta Sigma, founded in 1914 at Howard University. And Iota Phi Theta, founded in 1963 at Morgan State University. And the following four sororities. Alpha Kappa Alpha founded in 1908 at Howard University. Delta Sigma Theta founded in 1913 at Howard University. Zeta Phi Beta founded in 1920 at Howard University. And Sigma Gamma Rho founded in 1922 at Butler University. Five years after observing my first step routine, I was at the end of my junior year of high school, and I had been elected by my classmates to serve as senior class vice president. What was particularly interesting was the sustained level of enthusiasm and class pride that we held since the beginning of our freshman year in high school. Our class was, and to this day, is still very close. If Class VP wasn't enough responsibility already, I had also started a community choir called Youth in Christ. I worked part-time at the local Foot Locker, and I decided to found a chapter of Lee, a community service organization that was supported by the Kappas at Morris College. Within weeks of the initial idea, I had garnered parental support and had recruited 20 black boys to join Kappa League. We would be mentored by the Kappas in the areas of academic achievement, character building, and community service. As part of this brand new group of brothers, we had a lot to prove. And the first way to prove our legitimacy was through facing off with our immediate rivals in the Sigma Beta Club, which was the step team I first saw in the sixth grade at the homecoming talent show. The stakes were never higher and everything was on the line. One Saturday in October 2001, just weeks before the homecoming week showdown, the brothers and I decided to come together to finalize our step routine. Both teams had made the talent show, the Kappa League and the Sigma Beta Club. Both teams needed to practice in secret without onlookers. So the Kappa League decided to meet at Swan Lake Iris Gardens, which was a popular park and tourist attraction located in the center of our town. We parked our cars at Swan Lake Apartments and entered the park across the street for our chapter meeting and step practice. After our practice ended, we walked to our cars and as we were leaving, two police officers pulled up on us and blocked me and our vice president, Jared, in. The police officers jumped out of their cars and asked us what we were doing and where were we coming from. We calmly answered their questions and showed the officers our driver's licenses. The officers finally told us we were trespassing and that the apartment manager, a white woman, called 911 on us. The officers issued both of us summons to court for the trespassing charge. I was absolutely shocked by the ordeal. No one had ever called the police on me before. Why didn't she just call tow trucks? The trespassing statute in South Carolina comes from Code 16-11-620, and it reads, Any person who without legal cause or good excuse enters into the dwelling house place of business, or on the premises of another person, after having been warned not to do so, or any person who having entered into the dwelling house, place of business, or on the premises of another person, without having been warned, fails and refuses without good cause or good excuse to leave immediately upon being ordered or requested to do so by the person in possession or his agent or representative shall on conviction be fined no more than $200 or be imprisoned for not more than 30 days. All municipal courts of this state, as well as those of magistrates, may try and determine criminal cases involving violations of this section occurring within the respective limits of such municipalities and magisterial districts all peace officers of the state and its subdivisions shall enforce the provisions hereof within their respective jurisdictions. What was interesting to me was that I never saw the apartment complex manager or recall her ever having a conversation with us. What bothered me even more was the fact that she watched the entire two-hour step practice from her apartment and then called the police on us as we were leaving, I'm reminded of a scripture passage coming from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, which says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The unknown danger variable is we did not know what words the apartment complex manager used To dispatch the police officers so quickly i am absolutely sure black males and trespassing were all the triggers she needed to get five white men with guns to prove how powerful her cry for help was i can just remember the smug look on her face in the parking lot as we left in our cars traumatized by what had just happened this woman had weaponized the police against 16- and 17-year-old black boys. What was I going to tell my parents? When I showed my parents the summons, I just remember my mom shaking her head in frustration. When I explained how everything went down, I was then given another installment of the talk. Honestly, things could have went really left in the parking lot on that day, but for the grace of God and good home training. Some weeks went by and then there was the court date. Richard Sr. picked me up from school and he coached me as we drove along for the ordeal since he was in court regularly as part of his job as a police officer. I was slightly nervous because I didn't know what to expect, but I was comforted by the fact that my dad was with me and I knew I could put together an argument in my own defense, respectfully. The magistrate judge called my name and my heart sank. I pulled myself together and approached the podium. It felt like a thousand people were watching this all go down. The judge asked me a line of questions. One of the questions was, what type of organization are you part of? And I answered by informing the court that I was the leader of a community service organization. And on the date of this summons, we were preparing for a talent show. The judge looked puzzled. She asked me a clarifying question. Were you on the premises of Swan Lake Apartments during your practice? I answered her, no ma'am. We parked in the guest parking spaces and went into the park. The judge then became frustrated. She then called Richard Sr. to the microphone, since I was still a minor, and he echoed what I told the court. The judge ruled immediately. She said, young man, you have your entire life ahead of you. This case is dismissed, but I will order you to issue the plaintiff an apology. This apology probably was the hardest thing I had ever been told to do. I gave the apology and all I can remember was the scowl on the apartment complex manager's face as I spoke the words of my apology. Her heart was as hard as a stone. Her attempt at ruining my life and the lives of my fellow brothers with a misdemeanor had been thwarted by grace. The grace that was applied to me came through relationship. The power of relationship is limitless. In fact, judgments are directly influenced by our relationships. Because Richard Sr. was a respected police officer and model citizen in our community, The ruling I received from the judge was in direct response to the relationship that he had with the city of Sumter. In the judges, also a white woman, in her broad discretion, I feel her decision was heavily influenced by her knowledge of Richard Sr.'s character and his service to the city, which superseded and overturned the plan of the apartment complex manager. My brother Jared tells me that she didn't even show up to court on his court date after losing to me in court. As far as the talent show results goes, all I can say is, to this day, it's still too close to call. But what I will say is, our 20th class reunion is in two years, so what's up? Shout out to Sumter High School, class of 2002, I love you all. I'm reminded of a scripture passage in the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20, and it reads, You planned evil against me. God planned it for good, to bring about the present result. My closing thought on this episode is based off Genesis 50 and 20. God overrides evil for eternal good. Just like Joseph in this passage, we must recognize that the detours of our lives are part of God's providential plan. God converts terrible acts into testimonies of deliverance. Please note the order of the scripture, evil, then God, then good. When we experience unjust evil, we must look for God who is able to bring about incredible Good. We are going through a really tough time in the United States and around the world as we grapple with police brutality, racism, prejudice, excessive force by police officers, and murders of black men. Even with police reforms and policy changes, any referendums or reforms on police will stop short of the deeper problem. Hearts of Stone Legislation changes laws. But genuine relationships changes hearts. My final question to you is, how is God and or your moral compass telling you to address race? Thanks for joining this episode of Left on Red, thought-provoking commentary by Trevor Cooper. I hope you were enlightened, challenged, and even inspired. If you would like to connect with me on social media, then please find me on Facebook at Trevor A. Cooper, on Instagram at Mr. Trevor, M-I-S-T-E-R-T-R-E-V-O-R. To find out more about the ministry, please go to impactfellowshipchurch.org. Until next week, be well, be wise, and be nice. God bless.